Friends, peace to you. In the name of our risen Savior Jesus, amen. You can't blame Mary Magdalene for crying. These last two days had probably been the hardest days of her life since Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. That seems to be how it was that Mary Magdalene first came into contact with Jesus. She was one of the people during his ministry whom he freed from demonic possession. See, the Bible teaches us that spiritual forces, powers are real. The Bible teaches that there is more going on in our world than meets our eyes, teaches us that there's more going on in our world than our scientific instruments can measure. The Bible teaches us that when we see culturally this kind of recent interest, affinity toward spiritism, crystals, astrology, this kind of thing, it might be misguided, misinformed in a number of ways, but that's not coming from nowhere. There are forces and powers in our world beyond our senses and beyond our control. Many of them are evil and malignant. Mary knew that experientially. She had been subject to these powers, oppressed by these powers. She knew that she, Mary, was weaker than them, that she could not fight against them, and then Jesus came. Jesus came and this one man cleared out all seven spirits without breaking a sweat with a word. He set her free. Now he was dead. So Mary cried. And we can't blame Mary for crying. Someone who had protected her was gone. Maybe one of you understands what that's like. Someone who had cared about her was gone. Maybe one of you understands what that's like. Someone who had been a a pillar of strength, of stability in her life was gone. And so for three days now, Mary had been crying, probably crying all weekend. But now at this point, she she had finally gotten her strength together. She had gained enough control to gather up spices, perfume. go honor his body with the other women in the best way she knew how. And they got there and he was gone. And they went back and they got the men, they got the disciples to come out and help them to look for him and they couldn't find him either. And they left her alone there in the garden again. And there she was totally alone. And so the tears start again. Who is Mary if Jesus has gone? Is Mary a fool? Maybe she should think of herself as a fool because she thought he was going to be there forever. Is Mary free? Does she still get to be the the same Mary, the new Mary, the Mary who for at least a couple years now has been able to walk from town to town following her Jesus on feet that were controlled now by her and her alone? drinking in every word that he spoke, storing them in a, way, in a way in a brain that housed only her thoughts now, no other voices in there, hers and his alone. 
are they going to come back? Those voices of her captors, her tormentors, her literal demons, right? Because there's no more Jesus to keep them away. There's another story from Jesus' ministry about a man who was oppressed by many demons. We're not given an exact number like we are with Mary and her seven, but when Jesus speaks with this man, this is from Mark chapter four, and asks him for his name, the demons feel it suiting to reply on his behalf. My name is Legion, for we are many. At the time, a, a Roman legion was this military unit that comprised around 5,000 soldiers. Are the demons responding literally there, right? Are there literally 5,200 demons plus some cavalry units? Probably not exactly what they mean. What they mean to connote is that there are many of them. But they're powerful, like a Roman legion, a force to be reckoned with. So powerful that they feel they get to define this man that they get to substitute themselves in for his identity. This is just the demon man now. This is just legion. Totally defined by the evil that inhabits his life. Maybe Mary had been defined in that way as well. Had people called her Mary in her neighborhood, in her community? Or do they have other names for her? Did people simply call her that evil woman, that dangerous woman? When the kids in town saw her coming, did they run away? A little bit laughing, a little bit frightened in the way kids kind of do. Here comes the scary lady. Was Mary Mary before Jesus, or was she defined by that evil present in her life? Maybe some of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be defined, not by your name, but by evil present in your life. You've been given a name because of that evil. You've had people call you that jerk, that hypocrite, that liar, that cheater, that bully. Maybe those names have poisoned just one relationship. Maybe they follow you around work around your school. And sometimes those kind of names are applied to people who don't really deserve them, right? But this morning, I'm talking about the names that you know you do deserve. Just as Mary knew that when the kids ran away from her screaming, scary lady, scary lady, she knew she deserved that. She was scary. She was that dangerous woman defined by the evil over which she had no power. And now this morning, she stands there in front of this empty tomb at a loss. Where is Jesus? Not knowing what defines her anymore. Not knowing whether she's any more defined by the freedom that Jesus gave her or if she's going to go back to being defined by those demons, that evil, that power that had her in its grip. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turns around. She recognizes him. And the way that she names him, John the Apostle specifically notes this for us. When Mary names him, she names him in Aramaic. 
right? Probably up till that point to this day, she'd been speaking Greek. She was expecting to speak Greek with the guards at the tomb. She was expecting to speak Greek with this gardener, whoever he might be. But when Mary realizes who it was that is actually speaking to her, what comes out is not that, that common language, that market language that she would have used day to day, that lingua franca Greek of the time, but her heart language, the language that she would have used as a first century Jew in, in her most intimate relationships. Rabboni. And I have to add something to our Bible translation there because when it says Rabboni means teacher, it doesn't quite get that right because Rabboni is not just teacher. Rabboni is my teacher, my teacher, my teacher, my deliverer, my savior, my friend, my Jesus, and here he is. And now Mary knows that she has an identity again, that she's defined again. Because Jesus is alive. Her Jesus, her Rabboni, her teacher, her savior. As a pastor, as a counselor, I have to tell you, in general, what Mary is doing is not healthy. Uh, Finding your identity in your relationship with another human being is not the healthiest place to find your identity. Why? Well, because people can die. People can abandon you. Or you can abandon them. We've seen this happen to people we know, right? So a, a parent whose identity is totally wrapped up in their kid, their kid's activities, their kid's interests, what their kids do, can spend you know, two decades maybe building up their identity in that way, totally building their life, who they are around that kid. What do you do when your kid leaves home? Who are you? Someone who goes looking for their ultimate personal identity in romantic relationships, one after the other, is never going to find ultimate happiness in any of those. Why? Because they're never going to be perfect. Look, sinners, we, you, sinners, can't find our relationships to be our ultimate source of personal, real identity, of lasting, true, personal value. But we can find it where Mary did. In her relationship with her Jesus, her Rabboni, her Savior, her teacher, Jesus who freed her from her demons, Jesus who died to take away her sins, Jesus who rose to guarantee to her, to guarantee to us that this gift of a a lasting identity based on our relationship with him is not one that would pass away like it would if we based it on our relationship with anyone else. It's a relationship that's going to last forever, because Jesus lives and will always live. There's a verse in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter two, where Jesus uses this really interesting little metaphor to describe this gift of a lasting identity that he gives to you. And it's a small verse. It's this small verse, the small aside in a small subsection of a small section of this larger fascinating book, right? I think I've said the word small enough there. But focus in on this small promise and just just unravel it for a second. So this is what Jesus says, Revelation chapter 2. I give you a white stone, the new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. There's so much wrapped up in this little promise. A white stone. So in the ancient Greek court system, 
jurors could secretly vote on the guilt or the innocence of a party on trial by placing either a black pebble or a white pebble into a jar as the jar was passed around. And when all the jurors had voted, the jar would be tipped out, the stones would be counted up, and more white stones, innocent votes meant acquittal. But Jesus' gift to you. A white stone is his declaration of your innocence. He's the only one sitting on the jury. He says to you, innocent, set free. He took your sin to his cross. He took your punishment in your place. So he can say this to you. And he says, on, on that white stone, there's a new name. A name known only to the one who receives it, he says, because See, the world might still know you in those other ways. The world still might know you as the liar, the hypocrite, the bully. That's not your name. What's written on here is child of God. Easter, Jesus' resurrection, gives you this identity. Easter is God's guarantee to you that this identity is a gift, a real gift that you didn't have to earn, a real gift that is given for you to you, a real gift that is yours forever. It's a gift proclaimed by the God of the universe, the God who rules over all powers, all forces, seen and unseen, the God who is exactly who Jesus tells Mary he is. My Father and your Father, my God and your God. Our Father promises that he will take all his children home to be with him forever. That's the good news. That's the Easter good news. That's the gospel. So say it one more time with me, friends. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.